0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: You're listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series. The race is on, and Aston Martin is the latest team to launch its 2022 car. And it was the genuine article ahead of its shakedown at Silverstone on Friday. So what did we learn from the most comprehensive new car reveal yet? And is the Aston Martin AMR22 good enough to move the team up the grid? I'm Ed Straw and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Scott Mitchell and Gary Anderson. Well, Scott, we'll start off with you. A real car real people that we could talk to on top of the launch broadcast how much did you enjoy this one
2: uh quite a lot actually it was um it fact it felt like a an old school an old-school car launch like um, obviously f- made for the digital age but there' was lots about it that was just um, it, it was just good we got to speak to got to speak to the drivers you heard a bit from um, heard a bit from the the, the guy who who actually Oversaw the creation of the car in, in Andy Green. We obviously had uh, Lawrence Stroll there briefly. Bit odd to have a uh, car reveal with no team principal present because um, Aston Martin's new team boss, Mike Crack, hasn't uh, started yet. So he, uh, he 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 wasn't there. But covers came off. Real car. Lots of interesting bits for us to, to talk about. Not just delivery launch. It's been shaken down. By the time people are listening to this, the car might actually be close to being on track, depending on when they listened. So, yeah, just, just quite proper. And I'm actually very pleased to be on a podcast where Gary actually has a real car to talk about and not the Red Bull one.
1: <laughs> I expect Gary is as well. And we should say that the car that was in the launch video, that is the actual car that will be running at Silverstone. So that's a real... Runner, or at least it will be by the time they need to get out of the garage. There's probably a few bits and pieces that still need doing. But, Gary, before we get into the detail of the car, and there's plenty of detail for you to get into, how impressed are you that Aston Martin has a car up and running and ready to go 12 days before testing begins?
3: Um, yeah, there's there's two sides to that, obviously. Um, it's very good, um, because you've got to get your spec, your, your A spec car, I suppose you might call it ready to do the initial testing. And and that's all about gathering data. I mean, the, all the the wind tunnel data, everything needs to correlate with the circuit data. So whether it's the best solution or the, or not just yet, they have a set of data that they're running the car in the simulation with, and they need to go to the track and they need to run the car and make sure that it, it correlates because then you can set your development program to, to go forward. If that doesn't correlate, you're in trouble. And the earlier and better you can do that, the better. So the the big problem is really that every time you when you say press a button and the car is finished and it goes to the track, um, then the days that are between what you where you are and what you're gonna and the, and the, and the first race or the first test are sort of lost because that you know you're not doing anything with that. Obviously the development program keeps going, but you've got to make sure that you're not developing in the wrong direction. So it's a it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword, really, I suppose you might call it. I would like to do it the way Aston Martin have done it, get the car ready, make sure you've got all the the stuff that you need to sort out. I mean, these cars will go to the first test with massive amount of sensors on them, just checking all the back pressures and temperature drops through radiators and through pipe work and whatever, because you need to know all that. You need to make sure you, you've got all that, a handle and all that, so you can optimise it as time goes by. So... I would have done it exactly as Aston Martin have done and I'm very, very impressed that they've actually got there. They've showed some other bigger teams that uh, it can be done and um, some other teams of a different colour, let's say blue. Um, they really disappointed me because the, the problem was that they they said it was a release of their new car. They didn't say it was just a release of a new sponsor or, you know, a new paint scheme or whatever, this was the release of a new car to their supporters more than anything else. And that was completely wrong. You know, as I said at the beginning of my, um, my written stuff on it yesterday, we can only write about what we see. Whether it's right or wrong, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't really matter. We can only write about what we see. Today was a pleasure to write about the Aston Martin. Yesterday was very disappointing to write about the Red Bull.
2: We're an honest bunch. We're not there to deceive anyone is what Andy Green said earlier when I asked him why they didn't feel the need to go down the smoke and mirrors route for everyone. And he was obviously, there was a bit, you know, tongue was slightly in cheek as he said that, but it was also legit because as Gary was saying, just the there there is an element of deception around the way, the way it was going. But just to pick up on something Gary was saying about just that value of getting out there, it's also it's a nice little win for Mercedes, isn't it, to have the power unit run on 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 track. We've seen them. Um, that think obviously the trend that we saw last year. I think we're all but one of the Mercedes powered cars. You can see it's nice and tightly packaged around the engine cover, but with the bulge on on the side. So I'm sure they've uh, left no stone unturned yet again. And I can imagine with because obviously we know that there's the the spec freeze coming on march the 1st for a, for a bunch of those power unit components and obviously there's a lot of work's gone into optimizing or reoptimizing the the combustion engine with the the e10 fuels for this year i can i can imagine that getting a car on track and maybe we'll even have the works mercedes on track next week in their own shakedown getting those cars on track 12 days before testing that's that's just just it's lovely for the engine supplier isn't it as well just for bricksworth to get a little bit more bit more information so very well done by all-round by uh team and, team and power unit supplier. That's the podcast done,
1: isn't it, Ed? We don't need to talk about the car anymore, right? <laughs> I think we want to delve into a bit more of the positivity <laughs> after what we saw with, with Red Bull. But yeah, you're right. It's great to get everything up and running. The shakedown running, it's a promotional day, they call it. You can only do a maximum of 100 kilometres. It's on special demo tyres that aren't the same as, as the regular ones. But those 100 kilometres are really valuable. We'll see quite a few teams trying to fit in these shakedowns, but... Aston Martin appears to have got the drop on everyone else unless somebody's snuck out secretly somewhere normally it gets out if they do but there's always a a slight possibility but Gary let's take a closer look at the car what struck me when I first saw it was you've got that combination of the very long and wide side pods but when viewed from above only because there's also a really aggressive undercut that almost to me look not too far off the old twin floor design it's very different to what we saw from the Haas which had the more old-fashioned than now we'd have to call it of last year's shape but given the importance of the underfloor generator downforce with these regs do you think what we saw on the Aston Martin is the logical way to go in terms of that configuration?
3: Um, yeah I suppose I mean I'm, I'm talking from the outside here a little bit but I suppose if I was tasked with the direction to take for a development program it would be the twin floor solution or it's not quite a twin floor it's a, a massively undercut side pod I suppose you might call it uh, because you've got a, a very strong diffuser on the car for the underfloor, you've got a very, very strong um, beam wing now, double element beam wing. That's really an aggressive approach because the whole thing about the, uh, the new regulations is about to try to, ter- to turn the wake of the back of the car much higher than before. So they've allowed everything to work more about doing that. They don't want the wake to hit the car following it, um, if possible. Um, so if that's the objective, then you have to try and design your car and the concept of your car to suit that. And the, the, uh, the undercut side pod, um, as you say, twin floor floors such allows that to happen. They've, they've, you know, it's, it's all the detail. It's not the one thing like the, the, the Louvre radiator exits on the top of the side pod. You know, they've, because of that, they've been able to reduce the, the rear exit dramatically. So the cook bottle area is much bigger. So again, more flow over the top of the diffuser. Um, so it's not it's not one thing. From front to back, you can see the sort of, the, the concept flowing through. And everything seems to, in my book, seems to connect up from front to back. And I, you know, I'm actually very impressed with it. I mean, Andrew started work with me at Jordan in 1990. So that's thirty thirty two 32 years ago, I suppose. Um, and I'd known him for a couple of years before that, working at Raynard and he's such a dedicated and committed individual to what he's trying to do. I mean, he's never had the easiest time in his life all the way through it. But to be honest, he is he is somebody who's focused and can can see the big picture through a lot of people. You know, he knows what he wants to try and achieve, doesn't necessarily know how to achieve it, but he allows other people to do that. So I I think I can see that through from the front of the car to the back of the car that, that there's really a lot of input from the the top end of the design team. They've obviously got a, a very strong team of people behind them, and a lot of them are still Jordan people. But they're they're good people. They're 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 just racers. You know, they want to go racing. They want to do well. Last year was a bit of a, a blip in the old cycle, um, but they'll have learned from from what they did in 2020 with the um, uh, let's say clone of the Mercedes. Um, and then they didn't actually make it function, make it work as well as Mercedes did in 2021. So they've learned from all that, and they put that all into the package for the 2022 car. So, yeah, I'm I'm impressed with the concept, the commitment, and the fact that what we saw today was actually a real car.
1: And looking at some more of the details, even the front wing—that's the most detailed front wing design. We've seen the shaping of it. There's that kind of the tiniest hint of the little raised nose at the bottom with a little bit of little bit of airflow squeezing underneath to to feed to the front of the floor. So that that's what we're looking for, aren't we, with these cars? We knew what the basic architecture would be, but this Aston Martin's full of those little details.
3: It is. It's detailed from front to back. And as I say, the bit for me is it all links together. Now if you take that sort of front wing, that's obviously where everything starts. So you've got to you've got to be as nice as possible to the airflow that that wing's seeing, but you've still got to create a downforce that the front of the car needs to get the balance. Uh, and what they've done is the the, the very forward flap, um, or the forward main plane, as we might call it, is actually like a slotted flap. It's a very very short cord. It's fairly symmetrical across its width, um, but it's, it's detached slightly from the nose. And the, the next... Main plane, the next part of the front wing, is actually the mounting for the front wing. So it's the part that connects up to the nose. And the profile of that then runs up the underneath of the nose. So you've got a slot gap all the way across the car from end plate to end plate. There's a slot gap in the middle. So you can get airflow underneath there and, again, run that up the nose so that the nose can well, basically suck on that slot gap and pull airflow through it. So the front of the nose, actually, and the front of that wing is a very critical area. And you can see on the front of that uh, that leading edge slat that the nose of it goes up quite a lot. Uh, and if you can imagine, the, the airflow doesn't come in horizontal there. The airflow comes in from much higher, and it's pulled down through that slot. So if you don't have that slot there, you get separation, because the airflow just doesn't want to turn around that corner. So it's, you know, the, as I say, the airflow isn't what you think it is. The wing doesn't just run its way through horizontal airflow. It's actually pulling airflow in from a much, much greater height. Um, and they've accommodated all that. You know, they've, to me, it looks like everything has been thought about from right from the tip of the front wing to the diffuser. So, it's a, yeah, it's a package. It's a great package, and I, I like it quite a lot.
2: I, I'm I'm enjoying the fact that because it's the first proper car we've seen now, that, you know, an actual team-built car rather than the show car, and even the Haas, that, that evolution, early evolution of it, it's just interesting actually having something like where there are little details now? Every time I look back at the AMR twenty two, that I see something extra. Obviously, when you saw it for the first time, your eyes are immediately drawn to some obvious stuff. It's quite cool where you see the slots on the top of the side pod, for for, for example, for, for for cooling. And obviously, we saw with we, we got a glimpse from the Hass, didn't we, of what when you see a head-on image, to how different the side pods can look compared to. Um, the 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 show car and obviously the 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 Aston is a different variation on on that theme as well. Um, so it's interesting to now have my eye start to be taken towards where there might be variations of a theme in this these twenty two rules because we we had this sort of basic concept and we know okay you know it's it's swoopy in these places and it's going to look broadly like this. But it's really interesting to see this and it's little things on the Aston that that, that I really like is that that bit. Um, I don't know, sort of the best way to characterise it in position on the car, but it's almost like front suspension um, point on the the nose, where you can just see the sort of elevation. There's like an angle change as the nose sort of come comes up towards towards the chassis, and when you're looking at like the way the the side pods are shaped, what you've got um, a, a, around there, it's just it's just so nice to look at a car and identify little things and think that's meant to be on there and that's something that team's come up with because I just feel we've had a bit of a false start to launch season. I know that Red Bull was obviously the most egregious element of that but Haas obviously did a very clever thing getting the jump on everybody with those renders but they openly admitted that it was just an early evolution of the VF22. So I'm just... The the tech side of thing fascinates me because it's an area where I learn loads by when you speak Gary or when you write something when Ed's looking at uh, stuff when we're going over over that sort of thing and with an all new set of technical regulations I was actually super excited for launch season and then I felt kind of let down (laughs) with the first two because you're like oh I was really hoping to get stuck into this so just the Aston side of things just it's, it's just it's so nice to have those details to look at and now I'm really eager to see the next one you know i want i want to be able to compare some stuff that i've seen on on, on the Aston. i feel like we're I feel like this is what we've been waiting for now and this is when launch season actually gets to be quite fun
1: well that's a useful thing isn't it gary because you can only compare it with what other cars are and the aston martin's almost number one in the in terms of the the, the data we've got so it's almost there on its own as i think we can compare it a bit to the Haas, admittedly but if you had to have a stab at it, do you think that what we've seen from the Aston will be broadly followed by other cars or or are there areas that you're particularly interested to see if there's a there's a different concept that might be pursued
3: well it, it's more about the trend that takes you forward as opposed to what we see in the cars that are coming out now because you know they're committed to they're they're on their way and um some will have researched different directions for example let's take Red bull you know they've always had this um limpet style bodywork you know they, they they put cling film over the top of everything that's underneath it minimize it and take away all the bumps and bumps and uh, and lumps and uh, have a very very tight bodywork package a bit like what the uh, the Haas has Now the, the obviously the the Aston Martin is a completely different concept they they haven't done that they've moved the sort of side pod up and and basically using the louvers for the radiator exits and the undercut side pod that's completely different philosophy in two cars that we haven't seen for many many years which is right and which is wrong i really don't know you know if i was pushing for a a car concept right at the moment i would probably be trying to head down the aston martin route in that uh, undercut side pod get as much airflow over the top of the diffuser as possible um you know, it, it, it seems logical to me because every time you accelerate the airflow over the top of the side pod, the way that Red Bull and many teams have done in the past, it's you get lift on the top of the side pod because you're pulling that airflow over the top of the quite uh, quite quickly. So the air is speeding up to get back into that vacuum, which is inside the Coke bowl, and you get lift on the top of the side pods. Now, you could afford to do that in the past because it made the, the underflow work better and it made the diffuser work better, but you could afford to do that in the past because you had enough front wing to actually get the balance in the car. But now you don't have enough front wing to get the balance on the car. So you have to find other solutions to these problems. So I'm quite impressed because of the two cars that we've seen that I think the concept is probably in the direction that we'll see them running um, is quite different. And I didn't think that would happen within these regulations, but it obviously shows it can happen within these regulations. As far as Red Bull's concerned, we've got no idea. You know, what they showed yesterday was just an absolute... They, they probably got the bits out of the skip. But it's just something that, you know, at the end of the day, will get people thinking. And I don't think we'll see solutions change before uh, Barcelona. Um, but I, we'll light a few people up as to different ideas because that's that's what it's all about, you know. Everybody wants to hide everything as long as possible. So on the Wednesday in Barcelona, when the cars hit the, hit the track for the first time, that's the first time we'll really know... What anybody's got initially, you know, there will be development programs going on in the background, but that's the first time we'll see a car run on the track with what they've got, and then from there you've got to focus in on the the car that's doing the best job, I suppose you might call it.
2: I suspect if you were coming up with a concept though for this, Gary, you'd probably have one that actually had a complete suspension uh, assembly, because on the one of the renders, um, part of the suspension was missing on the. The, I can't remember if it's the left or the right hand side, but uh, they, they obviously forgot to uh, draw the rest of the suspension for the AMR twenty two render. It's quite funny. Um, can you how how would you describe what was missing there, Ed? It was an unconventional uh, uh, suspension arrangement, wasn't it? <laughs> I,
1: th- I think if we were naming it, we'd say it was a uh, asymmetric front suspension push rodless front right I think would be the way to describe it. The the good thing was it was on the real car so it's an oversight in the render they're not going to get to Silverstone and suddenly realize that the car doesn't uh, attach itself to the ground quite as hoped.
3: Yeah I must admit I I did sort of have a look at that myself when I saw it and I thought that's a bit oddball. but is it a shadow is it something that's sort of hiding a little bit and it's so easy because there's lots of you know the wishbone linkages and stuff cross over quite a lot you have to really look at them two or three times before you can sort of see them in detail, and I thought in the end I actually picked it up, but um, perhaps not, but, uh, you know, if you look at the pushrod and you look at the slot in the chassis where the pushrod goes through and stuff, it's, it is a pushrod suspension, I'm 99.9% sure, whereas you look at the Haas, and it looked like the pushrod was leaning against the side of the chassis, just um, just to sort of, you know, camouflage it a little bit, I suppose, and there was probably a bit of a wooden block underneath the front of the chassis holding the car from the ground. so... As I say, the, the first day in Barcelona is a day that the cars have to comply and go out on the track, and that's the first time we will really know what, is the, uh, what anybody's concept is like. But I, again, I'll go back and say the Aston Martin I saw today. I thought, yeah, detail front to back, very good.
1: You're listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series. Aramco continuously pushed the limits of engineering. As the global energy partner of F1, they drive a shared vision to real-world innovation that aims to lower emissions, enhance performance, and drive ongoing human-led progress. Aramco, powered by How. Well, Gary, let's look at the, the bigger picture with, with Aston Martin. It's coming off the back of running what was to all intents and purposes a Mercedes clone in 2020 and 21. Still got the technical partnership, but according to technical director Andrew Green, All it's taken from Mercedes this year is the power unit, gearbox, and rear suspension. So based on what you've seen from this car, and bearing in mind you haven't got anything really to compare it to, how confident are you now in Aston Martin's ability to go its own way?
3: Personally, I've got 100% confidence in Andrew Green and the team of people at at Aston Martin. They they have got more information, I think, than most other teams relative to the high-rake, low-rake the concept to follow, um, and I think they can do it. I think 2021, well, 2020 really with the the, the Mercedes clone was a blip in their um, learning curve. It wasn't a blip in their performance because it worked quite well for them, but it was a blip in their learning curve. And then you get the problem of 2021 when the, when the floor design changed a little bit and the sides got cut off and all that stuff. They didn't know where to go with it because they, uh, you know, they hadn't, they haven't conceived it, I suppose you might call it. So it's very, very difficult. If you've got something, it might be the best in the world, but if you haven't thought it out at the beginning, right through to its performance level, then you're struggling. So I think this is a, like a new clean sheet of paper for them. Of course, they have got lots of bits from Mercedes, um, and there is a technical relationship there. So there will be a learning curve between them and Mercedes for sure. Which Who follows who? does? Um, force India follow Mercedes, or does Mercedes follow, uh, follow force India? Either could happen, to be honest. You know, if we see, let's say, a Mercedes car that looks very like the force India car, that doesn't mean that force India, or force India, I'm talking about here, Aston Martin, that doesn't mean that Aston Martin have actually copied the Mercedes. It could mean that Mercedes have actually copied the Aston Martin. So, there is a relationship, there will be overlap, there will be all sorts of stuff because you know, the the, the, the ability to use parts from Mercedes is huge. Aerodynamically and what we see as a surface of the car should be the, the concept of the team and the, the manufacturer team. So there shouldn't be anything um, too much the same. Um, but it will happen because the, the regulations are so constricted that you know you, you end up you're going to have to follow the same same suite somehow. So I think we have to give it time to find out. But I, I genuinely believe that if I was to pick a, a group of people that could do a good job, um, as far as picking up a concept is concerned and exploiting it, Aston Martin are not going to do a bad job.
2: They're going to be really up for it as well this year because obviously they barely they barely developed the, the 2021 car. They, I think they knew at the start of last season that they were going to be in for, for a long one. Sebastian Vettel said earlier that Probably spent three quarters of the season without without improving that 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 machine. And this is yeah, this is a moving on to a to a, a fresh concept with full development scope. How many times Ed did we hear Andy say that the one thing he was above all else that drove their design process was making sure they didn't end up down in 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 development cul-de-sacs. He really didn't want them to be pigeonholed into a position where they couldn't um, pursue anything any further. So I get the feeling that they're really relishing the prospect of taking this um, as far as they can in a development point of view. And it's going to be an interesting test, actually, their capacity to do that against, say, a Mercedes, if they do end up with a similar concept, because Green was telling us that he would like to think that they will be able to at least match mercedes and red bull and co in terms of developments this year they they, they believe that they're in a position to do that and i don't know how you interpreted it ed but um because obviously we know that you know financial limitations are are, are a thing of the past for this team now so that's not an issue my assumption was just because you know unlimited ceiling effectively they're going to be absolutely fine in terms of running at the budget cap the same as mercedes red bull etc but um Green Green said something that sort of indicated not quite because... And it, he said it was not because of a financial shortfall, but he sort of suggested that it's because they don't have the infrastructure that the other teams do. I, the way I interpreted it was they're simply not going to be basically producing as much and doing as much. That means they actually spend the, 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 the full amount. Do you see what I mean? I, I was trying to work out what he meant by... Where was that disconnect? Because he's basically saying... They don't have any financial shortfall to Mercedes and Red Bull, but he was still also saying they might not be 100% at the budget cap this year, if you see what I mean.
3: Well, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to come back on that. It's It's just the systems you have in place. I mean, Red Bull was probably one of the first teams that started to sort of try to understand how they could reduce manufacturing time so it gave the designers and the research more time to find the right solution. Uh, before they hit the button on making something so they've they 've spent years doing that they' have spent five maybe even you know more eight ten years doing that, making sure their system was fully operational so they could hit the button and make something quicker than anybody else and that 's what Andrew's talking about you know they have all they have the money to do it, but they don 't have a system in place which allows them to design keep designing for two or three more days um, before they hit the button to make it. Then after that, they don't have the system that would like to get that part made in time. That takes a huge amount of effort, a huge amount of planning, a huge structure in the manufacturing department. And so I don't think they've got that in place. And that's not something you can buy. That's something you have to sort of really work on over a lot of time to put that in place to make sure it can happen consistently, efficiently, and uh, obviously the parts have to be correct. You know, there's no point in making stuff quickly if they don't go in the car. And the detail isn't isn't hundred percent correct. So I'm sure that Andrew's right in what he says. It's just about getting that part of the company together, the production side of the company together. Because you know when Jordan started back in 1990, we made nothing in the company. We we got outside suppliers everywhere, and there are you know there's a there's a change all the way through to now. But there's still this, you know there's still a philosophy where we can get stuff done outside. Well, you have no real control over those people. Um, that's that's the biggest problem. You have to get things now done in internally and you have to make it very efficient
1: it's also encouraging for them that they're clearly not just saying well we can spend all this money so we will they're making sure there's reasons for everything they're doing and yes if you spend a bit more money and you spend it properly that will confer an advantage but i think it probably tells us about where the team is at now and also that there's a constructive mindset there but it's also useful for them as well to have a little bit of headroom in that cost cap so it means if they do have an unexpected spate of accidents or whatever, or if there's something major they need to change, there is a contingency there, I guess, they can break into, which is which is no bad thing for this team because it's very, very much an interim step now. The, the factory's still being built. They've got a new wind tunnel coming down the line. They're, they're gradually building their own production capability, but as Gary just explained, they're still very much working through that. So I find that quite an encouraging thing to, uh, thing to talk about, and it's a lot easier where they are than being perhaps a Mercedes or a Red Bull or a Ferrari who might be kind of bouncing against that cost cap limit constantly.
3: Yeah, I think the way to sort of sum it up, I think, in the past, the bigger the factory you had, the more manpower you had, the more budget you had, the bigger the skip out the back needed to be because there was more rubbish going in it because you could just create more stuff. Now you have to be a bit more efficient about all that. So never mind the factory getting, the factory has to get bigger, the manpower has to get more efficient. But hopefully the skip can get smaller. There's less bits going into it. And, and that's where I think um, you could see Aston Martin progress because they're coming from one side of the the spend to another side of the spend. And uh, whereas they, they haven't had the money for a long time. So they can they can they can spend efficiently now, I think is the best way of putting it. Need to check
1: whether skip hire is an exemption in the cost cap regulations or not. I suspect it probably is, although I don't recall that one. Specifically, Scott nobody is keen on setting explicit targets in terms of results and rightly so given how much uncertainty there is but what in your opinion would represent a good season for aston martin given everything that's going on in terms of growth
2: i i don't think it's too much of a stretch for them for their upper limit to be a sort of season like mclaren had last year i don't i think if they could get to the point where they are consistently able to you know when when they when they nail everything they're on the front three rows of the grid when things come together they're getting a podium here and there I I, because that's what that team was doing as Force India like so that has to be the the that has to be the minimum target I think I it's going to be very very hard to do it but if this is a team that has serious ambitions of winning world championships in a few years time then obviously there, there has to be that step and the reason I think that's realistic is because they switched over the focus to 2022 uh, nice and early. Yes, they have; they do still have these infrastructure limitations in place. There's an, an inertia that ultimately benefits the big teams, regardless of the of the cost cap. But as I said, this is a team. Gary has explained in depth why you can trust Andy Green and the, and this team to do a good job. So they've had the focus. They've had the resource to do everything they can within the infrastructure that that, it, that exists. There is a bit of a question mark over the driver lineup. I'm a, I rate Sebastian very very highly, but he has had difficulties in the last couple of years, and by his own admission, didn't have a perfect year last year, made mistakes. And Lance Stroll still needs to prove, as far as I'm concerned, that he's capable of being a very good Grand Prix driver more than three or four times a a season so there is a question mark on that side but I just don't I I don't see a reason why they can't have built a car that will be between fourth and sixth in terms of the team pecking order every weekend and can't be near the near the upper end of that of that scale so they they in any given weekend they could be anywhere between I don't know fifth and and ninth but that would still be good because that midfield is ridiculously competitive. So, someone has to finish outside of the points. Half the grid has to finish outside of the points. But I just think Aston Martin need to be so much more regularly in the top half of that than they were last season. And I think that's a. I think that would be a success. I don't. They don't need to go out this year, new era, and be like, yeah, we're winning races and stuff like that. Because it'd be silly. It'd be unrealistic. But I, I, I do think it's fair to expect them to be in that sort of proper top four
1: fight and i think they'd probably be
2: disappointed if they didn't finish fourth or fifth in the championship
1: it's a tricky question though isn't it because i tend to look at it in terms of there's there's kind of two two overriding factors that decide how well you do in terms of what resources you've got and how much of the potential you extract from what you've got as a team and then where that fits in with everyone else and i look at it if everyone gets the same theoretical amount out of their resources let's just say everybody does 95% of what they should do in terms of performance based on what they've got, then there's no reason for Aston Martin to be bothering Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren, Ferrari, even. Alpine have got still better facilities at this stage. Aston Martin will get there, but they're still a little bit behind there. So there's five teams straight away that could well be ahead, and then it's down to you doing a, a better job with what you've got, which this team's very capable of doing, but you can't control, if you're Andy Green, what McLaren do, what Ferrari do. So how do you look at that sort of thing gary how how do you when you're a technical director at a team try and balance up your cleverness and what role that can be expected to play in terms of what you achieve compared to the others can you really set a kind of well we can be about there if we do our
3: job yeah i think it's about setting your expectations as you say you know for mercedes or, or let's say red bull you know their expectations is to have at least one car on the front row uh, of every Grand Prix, and maybe the second car on the second row of every Grand Prix, I think if if um, Aston Martin would set their expectations as to getting the majority of time, at least one car into the top ten, or both cars into the top ten on a good day, then that that's that's where they are. You know, that's that's really what Aaron Scott says. You know, a, a good solid fifth in the championship, and I'm not meaning. A fifth that's one point away from sixth, I mean, a fifth that's one point away from fourth in the championship. That's the sort of expectations they've got to set themselves because, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and it isn't going to be built here in a day. You know, if you if you go back in time, I was very critical of, of McLaren through their Honda days, not necessarily because of Honda, but because McLaren thought they were better than what they were. And hopefully that helped them to realise that actually we need to look within ourselves to actually do something. And I've been the same with, 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 the, the, the Force India then come, ask Martin, because at the end of the day, you know, it's so easy within, within yourself to find an excuse for what's going on. So criticism from the outside doesn't really hurt too much. And I, I was against what they did in 2020 with the, the Mercedes clone. Like our lumpet, you know, it was a Mercedes clone. Um, and then in 2021, they learned a lesson because of that. So hopefully that's helped them for the longer term. Because at the end of the day, if you understand what you've got it's and you can get the best out of what you understand, then you can build on that. But if you don't understand what you've got, then you're, you're, you're on a downhill slide. You ain't going to get there. This, for me, is now an uphill slope for them. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough to get there to the front. But at the end of the day, they know what they've got right now. They've researched it, exploited it, maximized it, whatever you like to call it um so they know where they're going with that and i'm sure that there's certain areas in the car they can make better but they haven't had the time to make them better it's just at some point in time you have to you know print the drawing and make the bet and uh, that's the biggest thing for for them as we said earlier reducing the manufacturing time so they can print the drawing a bit later and make that part a bit quicker will make them when they get to the track they'll have a better car um, So, you know, it's simple. And as long as they see that, then they will go forward. And I think they're on the way forward.
1: Yeah, so it's all about the long term with Aston Martin. But at the same time, as you say, Gary, you can't afford to create excuses and not set High ambitions for yourself. They're going to push themselves and do the best they possibly can this year. It's going to be interesting to see how Aston Martin get on. Obviously, last year was a bit of a stuttering moment in their rise since Lawrence Stroll took over the team. But hopefully we'll see uh, a fair bit more from them this year and they can maybe punch above their weight a little bit, as we saw in the Force India days. Well, thanks very much to Gary Anderson and Scott Mitchell for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen, as there's plenty more to read there on Aston Martin, including a very in-depth piece by Gary, Breaking Down the Car, which is well worth reading. And if you enjoy our podcast, check out sister podcast, Bring Back V10s, which this week delves into Robert Kubica's only Grand Prix victory in Canada 2008. The launches are coming thick and fast, so we'll be back on Friday with everything you need to know about the new McLaren. Thanks for listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series.